was the night before Christmas, and all over the flat, the only thing stirring was Andy's black and white cat. He'd hung up his stocking over the fire. I don't have a fire. (sighs) He'd hung up his stocking over the radiator. He'd left out mince pies for the Yuletide visitor. Actually, I've left carrots out too for the reindeer. I mean, they must get hungry too, right? And then he settled down to read a good book, with the hope that when he woke to his stocking he looked, it would be brimful of gifts to make his heart sing and banish the cold that always seeped in. I've been meaning to get the windows fixed for ages. So off to his bed with a cocoa he went, with no idea that that night three spirits would be sent. Ah, Christmas Eve. Time to reread the holy book, as is the tradition in my family. The first episode of the first ever Doctor Who serial was transmitted on Saturday afternoon, 23rd November 1963. Think for a moment what this means. If you were born on that historic Saturday, you will now be at secondary school, unable to remember a time when there wasn't a Doctor Who. What's that? Who's there? Who are you? All right, Andy. Who are you, spirit? Have you come to take my bones and grind them to a paste? No, don't be daft. I'm the ghost of who cast past. Past. Nearly rhymed. No, it doesn't. It does, sort of. Anyway, point is, do not be afraid. I'm not here to harm you. Just show you what the Oodcast was like in past Christmas times. Oh, well, that sounds nice. Go on, then. Ah. What? I was hoping you wouldn't be interested. There's not much to tell, really. Until uh, last Christmas, it was pretty much just a neglected and inert blog. Right. Uh, well, um, thanks for making the effort. Oh, that's all right. The next spirit will be along in a mo. Next spirit? How many of you are there? Three, you know, past, present and future. Like in a Christmas carol. Best be off, got an old man to scare into being nice. Right, so Odd Spirit visits me, tells me not much and then vanishes up through the shower head. This isn't going to be an ordinary Christmas Eve, is it? Hello! Hi! You must be the ghost of... Oodcast presents, that's it. Well done. Well, what have you come to show me? This. That's one of those fancy little computer things, isn't it? Yes, that's right. But look at what's on it. That's the Oodcast website. Yes, and isn't it lovely? This is your Oodcast present. Steady streams of visitors and downloaders, guest spots and other wonderful podcasts, and a theme tune that people can have as a ringtone on their phones for free if they visit the downloads page. Right, so what you're saying is that there's plenty to be thankful for this year, is it? Yes, I suppose so. And there's plenty of lovely things to read and download on the Oodcast website, just in case someone else is listening. But who else would be listening? We're in my flat in... Undisclosed southern location. It's just you, me and this cup of cocoa. Well, anyway, have a lovely sleep, Andrew. Your third and final spirit will be along in a moment. Night-night. This is getting a bit tiring now, and my cocoa's gone cold. That spirit is right, though. There's lots to be happy about. This is going to be a lovely Christmas. I can feel it. Ah, hello. You must be the ghost of Oodcast Future. Oh, I see. Not a talker, eh? Very handy for an audio podcast, that. I'm pretty good with visual gestures on air, too. Why are you waving at me like that? I said hello. Oh, you want me to follow you. I understand. Where are we going, spirit? Where do you lead me? It's cold outside. Do I have time to get my coat on? No, obviously not. Where is this place? What am I doing here? Hang on, this is Laura's place. And there are mics out. Oh, look, there's Chris Alpha. Hello, Andy. And Chris Sigma. Hi, Andy. And Laura. All right there. I'm with friends. And this is the special festive Oodcast. Welcome, one and all. Jingle, 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 jingle,
Hello, Alpha. That was a bit strange. What was? You appearing in a flash of blue light. Oh, I suppose so. It's just you normally just walk through the door. Right. Yes. Well, um, I'm not me, you see. I, well, I am me, but not from... Well, not your me. I'm from the future. I'm, I'm here to warn you. Why are you wearing a colander on your head? It's a long story, but the short answer is it'll help the audience differentiate me from the other versions of me from different time periods. I'm not sure that's going to work on a podcast. It's too visual. Can't you just talk in a silly voice or something, like with a lisp? Or Jamaican. Wagwan, sir. Love the South Beach. No, actually, that sounds really racist. What's all this about? Why are we all talking like this? Well, that's what I came to warn you about. This episode of the Ucast is being scripted by Stephen Moffat using every trope and screenwriting trick he's ever used in Doctor Who. You mean we're all going to start spouting one-liners? And facing threats inspired by our childhood fears? Whilst making thinly veiled sexy jokes? Well, I can't tell you. It'll break the laws of time. But yes, we are. Laura, why are you dressed as a traffic warden in a ridiculously short skirt? No, not traffic wardens. I've been scared of traffic wardens ever since someone parked my pram on double yellow lines when I was a baby. Do your blouse up, woman. But you remind me of a parking ticket. You've got fine written all over you. It's starting. Next, we'll suddenly have a childhood friend inexplicably woven into our timeline, like they've always been there. What do you think, Kevin? Oh, hardly bears thinking about. Ah, good old Kevin. You always know what to say when we're in a fix. Wait a minute, who's Kevin? I've never seen him before. What do you mean? Kevin's been a member of the Udcast for as long as I can remember. Right, Kev? Damn skippy. (laughs) Classic Kevin. How can you not remember, Laura? How about all those games we used to play at school? School. Hey, gang. Did you see Ghostlight last night? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. I liked the bit where they talked about evolution and the true nature of being for 25 minutes without stopping telling any jokes or anything significant happening. Yeah, say what you want about Mark Platt. He sure knows how to write a children's television serial. I love discursive tracts on the nature of science, even more than cowboys and explosions. What do you think, Kevin? I want to play kiss chase with that girl over there. Which girl? The one with the red hair and the lovely voice. Yuck. Girls are stupid and they have rabies. I think you mean babies. Itchy beard. Ah! Where did Andy go? I think he just saw a traffic warden. All the adventures we had as teenagers. Teenagers? Hey, Andy. Is that a race sub I borrowed from you? Thanks, Kevin. What did you think? Prefer blur. Fair enough. Hi, guys. You know that creepy house on Solitaire Lane? People keep disappearing around there. We should go and check it out. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Let's go and burn it down like Ace does in Ghostlight. Ghost what now? Never mind. It was a TV show I loved many years ago. Doesn't matter now, it's gone. How do you know about this house, Laura? I found an Easter egg on my Laserdisc special features menu. It spoke to me. It told me all about the house. I didn't understand anything you just said. Wait. I just noticed something in the corner of my eye. What is it? Panic over it. It was just my nose. Or oh, how about our, our very first bootcast? Bootcast. Hello and welcome to the Oodcast. Hello. Hello. We did that in unison. That was very good. Yeah, a hesitant unison, but yeah, a well, unison nonetheless. We're only warming up. And I'm Kevin. You're right. He's been here all along. Damn Skippy. <laughs> Classic <laughs> Kevin. Who's that? Oh, that'll be me. But you're already here. No, that's past me. The non-colander wearing me, here to record the Oodcast. What do we do? Well, I'll hide in this cupboard. Act normally. Okay. Evening, everyone. How are you all? Well, I've forgotten how young you looked. What do you mean? Nothing. Don't look in the cupboard. Why would I go in the cupboard? You wouldn't. There was absolutely no reason to mention it. Unless you count the Blinovich limitation effect. Shut up, Kevin. No one believes in that anymore anyway. 
Look, what's going on here? Nothing. Let's start the podcast. I'll just switch your mic on. <laughs> oh my god! You killed Kevin! You bar steward! It wasn't me! Lightning just shot out of the condenser mic! I couldn't control it! It's okay. I survived. My soul is trapped in the mixing desk's communication matrix. Oh, that, this sort of thing's always happening. Don't worry. I have no regrets. I don't want a bad mood cast over proceedings. But you were the best thing about the podcast. His signal's degrading. I'll try applying some filters. I have no regrets. Sorry, wrong filter. Take care, everyone. Don't forget me. I'm losing him. I have no regrets. Kevin! I don't want a bad mood cast over proceedings. I can't stop it. Don't forget me. Don't want a bad mood cast over proceedings. A bad mood cast. Bad mood cast. Mood cast. Mood cast. Mood cast. Well, that was weird. What were we talking about? I think it's probably time for the Oodcast News. Oodcast News. Hello and welcome to the Oodcast News, and it's my pleasure to report that it's a white Christmas here on the Oodsphere. Again. David Cameron has launched a new deal to solve Britain's debt crisis and rebalance society in one fell swoop by requiring anyone who has ever claimed housing benefit to be cryogenically frozen. UK train companies have urged every commuter who has been inconvenienced by delays on their train line recently to take legal action against the Sardic family rather than them. Animal News Now and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say, it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names, but then they got eaten by a flying shark. Aficionados of dynamite fishing have abandoned their explosive pursuits, claiming that a Haley Western Ra CD works just as well. And now the fish forecast. A cod front will move in from the west, a cloud of tuna will perch over the south, and there is potential for plenty of soul this evening. It has been reported that the fish people of Atlantis will make an appearance later. They say it's not just for the halibut, it's because they like the place. So, not much to carp about today. That is the fish forecast. You are most welcome. Broadcast News. So, the Christmas special, right? We've all seen it, haven't we? Mm-hmm. We have. Yep. Yes. yep, some of us twice. Yep, me too. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it so much I watched it twice in quick succession. I've seen it six times. <gasps> no, that's a lie. <laughs> Alf, how many times have you seen it? Oh, twice. Mm. I saw it once on Christmas evening, once on Boxing Day. Christmas evening? evening. Yeah, yeah. Christmas the... Eve? No, Ming. Christmas evening. Ah. <laughs> oh, he's got secret access to it. So Naughty downloading person. Yeah, yes, folks. Christmas doesn't sharpen Andy's tools. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it once I got over the disappointment of it not being set on the Orient Express in space. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, they did drop those big hints, didn't they? No, I thought this is, so far, I think this is my favourite of the Christmas specials. I agree. I think um, in terms of the script and the performance from the actors, I thought it was absolutely outstanding. Mm. I would would add the design team to that list of outstanding elements, actually. Um, I thought the... The starship was perhaps a little bit cheesy, but I wonder if it's on purpose. I wonder if it was a bit of a spoof of Star Trek I, kind oh, of I thought that when I saw it. Yeah, I was very pleased with that as well. <laughs> yeah, I found that very, very funny. Um, there, were, I had a few bones to pick with the whole starship, uh, starship, starship intro. Um, mm. So it starts out and it goes, both the engines have failed. Christmas is cancelled. And then immediately cuts to a shot of the back of the starship where there's a very big, obvious blue engine glowing away. Oh, no. And there's only one of them. So if Ooh. both engines have failed, what's the massive blue light at the back? It's yeah, start- take that, design team. Yeah. And- <laughs> no, it started again. The engine started again. Oh, fair I'm enough. I'm just so nice, Okay, I? but also, I used to work in aer- aeronautics, so I know, <laughs> I know that if a jumbo jet, for example, loses all power to all of its engines it can still glide uh with a drop rate of sort of it can glide one foot for every 15 foot it drops so it can keep going for about 145 kilo- kilometers if it is sufficiently high up in the atmosphere which can is, i ask something yeah 
is that information because you worked on aeronautics or because earlier today I opened up our web browser and there was a Yahoo Answers page open about how far a jumbo jet can glide? Actually, actually, it is the former. <laughs> so you were just you, checking your figures. Were so you? you can shut your mouth. <laughs> um, but anyhow, this particular spacecraft is not very aerodynamic. Because it's a spaceship? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be, of course. There may be something you are missing on this in that we're not talking about aeronautics. We're talking about spaceship design in space with a different atmosphere. And weird crystalline structures within the clouds. And the fact it's fictitious. Oh, and sharks. That doesn't matter. The point is it still keeps going for about an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, but we're talking about... just drop out the sky. I think Alpha's right. We're talking about an atmosphere where fish can fly. Probably all sort of physics is out the window anyway. So anyway, yeah, a little bit of a ropey start and then suddenly this amazing kind of Victorian steampunk alleyway and all this beautiful detail and obviously we saw it in high definition and it looked sumptuous. Sumptuous is the word. Really amazing set dressing. But not just that, I always diss the CGI, always. But the CGI in this episode was absolutely gorgeous. Except for the shot. It was like a painting. No, even the shark was good. I challenge, I challenge you to watch that shark next to something from the deep blue sea, which was a massive Hollywood mega buster thing, and see that there is any particular difference between them. And I bet you can't because that shark was also very good. And that's something we have to remember about Doctor Who. I don't, I don't know what the budgets are. But I would imagine that that whole Christmas episode probably didn't have a lot more of a budget no. than, say, the EastEnders Christmas well, this special is, This did. is why, one of the reasons I think this is a much better Christmas special than the others. There was a completely different approach to it than there have been before. I think that Stephen Moffat's writing in this pushed it in the, the right direction for kind of... Te- television drama now is all about event TV at Christmas, which I think is a bit weird. I agree and, with you, Alf. I think this story had real heart to it, and I've... That's what I like from a Christmas special. It's something yeah. that really makes you glow towards the end. Exactly, something that makes you feel something for the mm. characters. Mm. And in this, I felt something towards every character. And the it, special effects are in service of that plot yeah. rather than yeah. sort the of... Be all the, you, you feel that that's there first. I think maybe sometimes with RTD it was like, OK, I want the Doctor crashing through a... a, a um, <laughs> What are they called? Skylight onto yeah. the floor. How can I get the Doctor to that point mm. as yeah, opposed is, to I mean, the other way around, which is why it I'm, should I'm be I'm not done. saying I disliked all of it <laughs> um, previously. I mean, a lot of it's enjoyable to watch, but there are some that it just... None of it made me feel the way this made me feel. It was incredibly well written and, and very well performed. Do you know, something that struck my mind after seeing it was... The last episode we reviewed on the Udcast was, of course, Boomtown. Mm-hmm. And um, that story saw the Doctor quite determined to say to a character who appeared to be beyond reformation or redemption or whatever the word is, um, no, you're, you're going to have to face the consequences. Um, whereas in this story, he does the exact opposite. He sets out to reform a character quite determined to see it through and make good it was quite a, it was quite interesting to see how he can do that if he wants he's got the power do you think he would have done it if he had hit the child do you think he would have yes, gone yes, on that path says, of reformation if he if he hadn't hit the child i think absolutely that because shows what the guy that, says is what do you want and he goes a simple life and if sardic had actually smacked the kid then he would have had a simple life. His decision would have been made for him. Here's this completely irreformable guy who beats children. Mm. Let's um, let's just get let's him just out remove the way him quietly from, from the equation. Mm. But then, how would he have saved the space liner? He would have found a way. I'm saying I don't think he would have mm. taken the time if he didn't see that glimmer of light in the character at that point. Mm. I agree because I think it's really interesting that he, the Doctor, really sets out to reform. What's his name again? Kazran Sardik. Kazran Sardik. Um, I mean, like he, sardine, he, but ick. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to let anything stand in his way of, of reforming this character. You know, it is the means to the end of saving the lives mm. of the people on board the space liner, but he becomes very blinkered that that's his mission. 
what he wants to do. And of course, at the end, it turns out that that isn't the way to save their lives. Well, it is a little bit similar to the waters of Mars in that respect, isn't it? And that he he becomes so obsessed with saving this one person that he forgets what the possible um, ramifications ramifications could yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's obviously not a fixed point in time. He completely changes <laughs> the entire history of this guy, and with it, the planet. He goes and meddles with one person's life to an extent that he completely changes their personality and the whole kind of course of their life. In fact, he, he well, he basically takes somebody and breaks them. Yeah, but in a nice way. It's more like if, what you know. do with Heartbreak a bonsai isn't tree. exactly a nice thing to and do. And I, I, I quite like bonsai, except for there's one effect called a gin where you peel all the bark off one of the limbs, and I don't think that looks very good. But effectively, <laughs> he doesn't peel the bark off the limb. Well, he sort of does in that he exposes his emotional core. But frankly, the guy was growing up to be pretty twisted anyway. And in mm. fact, he does a good thing with him and he turns him into a beautiful little potted tree thing. Mm. Laura has a point somewhere densely inside that <laughs> metaphor. I think she's saying that the father broke him worse. The doctor broke yeah, him better. I, I can, mm. I can see, oh, yes. Oh, that's a very good way of summing it up. And uh, do you know what? The way you put that reminded me of some of the fantastic lines in the episode. Um, mm. For Come example, the uh, Great writing. in 900 years, Years of travelling through time and space. I've never met anybody who wasn't important. So I was like, oh, come mm. on. Stay off the naughtiness. Like, don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it was great. Um, and again, Halfway out of the dark. Yeah, beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. And there's lots of little things between him and the, um, the child Sardic. How did uh, boredom ever get invented? Yeah. Um, but he's this stuff like, did you know there's a special creature that's evolved specifically to crawl up the Face backs, spiders. The, the backs of cupboards? <laughs> Do you think they're in there in here now, Doctor? No, 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 no. You're quite safe this time of night. They'll be in your duvet, <laughs> in your, sleeping in your mattress. I've only got two goes, and then it's your, and then it's your <laughs> yes, turn. Yes. Oh, what do you mean? Two arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was very. In fact. The whole interaction between Matt Smith and the boy was terrific. I love the bit where the doctor says to old Sardic, um, I'm now going back in the past or something, and the projection's on the wall. And then he leaves in the TARDIS, and then in the next frame, he's there in the projection. Yeah, leaping into mm. someone's home video, essentially, oh, is what he's doing. Wasn't that clever? Yeah, really it was good. Brilliant. It was really brilliant. Watch this kind of thing and <laughs> yeah. sniffing into the TV. Oh, yeah. brilliant. It's very full of Stephen Moffat. Tropes is the word, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, did they conform to the Oudcast laws of time? Would you know what? It does completely. Because people are saying, how does he follow it in the memory? How, how, you know, Old Sardic is, is basically experiencing the adventure along with the Doctor, almost in real time as the Doctor rewrites his past. Now, the way I understand Doctor Who time travel is that the Doctor himself is the present moment he carries with him the present moment until he does something time doesn't change so when he does something in the past it changes and it's always been that way but until he does it it hasn't and this episode absolutely makes sense if you understand that so until he changes the young Sardik's mind then Sardik is the same person and then the um portrait of his father changes uh, to be the character, I forgot what's her name, Annabelle. Abigail. So, Abigail. Abigail. It becomes a- Abigail, but then he goes too far and ruins it and turns it back to the original course. At which point the portrait turns back. Yeah. So it's only when the Doctor does something that things change. If you go back, if you have time and listen to my theory of time travel, or just read the blog entry, it actually does follow it completely and makes sense of the entire episode. So I was really pleased. That was a that was a, we devoted a whole episode to we that, did, didn't we? Back in series two, it, right was it at the series one, of series, two, series yeah. And on the blog, two. if you just search for a lot of time I, on my, I hands. did notice there was um, a, a spike in views of that last week as well. I've got a question. Um, it was always my understanding that a, a person's timeline, when they're time traveling, or perhaps more specifically, when the Doctor time travels, his timeline remains relative to the events that he's affecting. Um, the, a, a good example of why I think of it this way is the beginning of the end of time when um, the Doctor has put off answering the summon of, summoning of the Oods 
by traveling around and doing all those weird things and whatever it was, getting married to Queen Elizabeth I. And because he's put that off, the master has had a chance in, a, in his timeline to um, advance his plan. So my point is, how does the Doctor um, spend all this time ch- trying to change Sardik's mind and spend all that time in all those Christmas Eves, which must have taken a whole week's worth of time whilst he's only got a few short hours to save the space liner. I think time's relative, but it doesn't have to be one-on-one relative. It could be for every day of the Doctor's time, it's a few minutes of Sardik's time. That's still mm. relative. That's still a ratio, but it's... Uh, so, you, you know, oh, so it's... Okay. A, I, I, I would imagine the Doctor is able to adjust those things. So it's still mm, relative. Yeah. It's still, you know, he's, he's still experiencing it in real time, but probably a lot faster how I like to imagine it is if for any um for any girls out there who like to do a bit of sewing, if you imagine a running stitch, right, and you're stitching a along a line. Running stitch. It's it's really basic stitch, just it's stitching basically, along a line. It's faster than a walking stitch, but it's not as fast as a flat out mm, sprint. Oh, you stitch. wag. You wag. Anyway. <laughs> so um you you're doing a bit of a running stitch, you're stitching along and then Quick hop stitch. You leave you leave a bit too much thread, right? So you've got big loops of thread coming off, but overall you're still stitching along a line. Mm. I like that a lot. Yeah. Cool. Big loops. The doctor is a loop. The doctor creates along the loops. Oh, yes, I see what you mean. So does this bring a whole new meaning to the, the old wife's stitching phase? Time stitching time nine. saves nine. <laughs> he can probably adjust that kind of ratio even, and, and, and keep things relative. Uh, for instance, yeah. for the first part where the, where the old Sardik is watching along on the video, that had to be a one-to-one ratio for that part of it because he's experiencing exactly the speed the video is. As things change mm. on the video, his memories change. But from that point onwards, it must accelerate, because as you say, otherwise that evening would have had to have lasted whatever sort of 16 Christmas Eve's worth mm. of fun. So it isn't just a question of him saying, I, I need to go to that point in time. There is a kind of relativity within his timeline yeah, which is either he can adjust as a time yeah. power or yeah. as something within so, the TARDIS that allows so him kind to do of, that. Put, put simply, he has a time machine. Oh, my goodness. That's ah. right, yeah. Ah. <laughs> I mean, that makes it so much clearer. That's brilliant, <laughs> because for most people, for 95% of the viewing public, he has a time machine. It's absolutely fine. Mm. Yeah. But it's for people like Andy and me, the other 5%. <laughs> you, you need to think it through. I'm more to, interested but, in very, very interesting... Fine points of detail. For example, when the shark is dying on the roof, they've got the body upright, but the tail is on the wrong way. What? The tail of the shark. They put it on the wrong way. It's flapping up and down when it should still be flapping That's basing it on that you think that the, the space shark has exactly the same it skeleton is, when as you an see Earth it later, skeleton. it's got exactly the same... But you don't know what the internal workings... It could be able to rotate its what, rotate, tail rotate like a propeller. Half its Who knows? Body? No! No, it can't do that. <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Is this from when you worked in an aquatic centre? I have kept koi carp. <laughs> I think I know about sharks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Did anyone think that showing the young Sardik, the nasty old Sardik, was a bit, you know, screwy, scary? It was his last plan. It was He tried mm. everything before he did that. But it's actually brilliant when you think about it because it changes him from both sides. It changes the young Sardik once again in a way that hadn't been changed up to this point to see what he's going to become. But at the same time, it changes the old man to remind him about what he was like as a boy. So mm. all the other attempts the Doctor has had to change him hasn't worked. But this is coming from the future and the past simultaneously. And that is the level of event that needs to happen to actually mm. change him, the amount that he needs to be changed. And indeed, it's changed so much that the, the machine doesn't recognise him mm. anymore. So and, that's a and just fundamental to, change. Just to kind of uh, look at, briefly at the... Dickens kind of timeline that's his Christmas future part as well which I thought was very clever yeah I thought that was lovely the ghost of his because he, he became his own ghost of Christmas exactly. future yeah. yeah hello Jim hello what is it are you awake of course I'm awake how can I sleep with your noise well it's important well what is it your ambient atmospheric temperature risen again? No, nothing like that. Well, what then? He's back again. 
Who? That Sardic boy. Again? That's three times this month. He knows he can't open the door. He's not trying. He just stands there. What for? You know, just looking and pressing that button. What button? You know, that biography one plays back the messages we recorded for identification. Oh, well, why do you wake me up? I hate hearing hers. Full of sentimental tosh about fish and beauty. He's captivated by it. I'm sure he is. We were captivated by his dad, and now we're being submitted to a Mills and Boone novel wrapped in a net curtain every time the little sod's bored. I don't know. There's, there's something sad about it. You mean apart from the lonely little boy continually staring at a lady ice pop? Yeah, apart from that. She just seems full of beauty and music. Oh, not you as well. She isn't that nice, you know. I bet she was a right cow before she was frozen. What are you talking about? Oh, that gentle, kind voice she puts on. That's probably her answer phone voice. What? Yeah, you know, that slightly posher voice we all put on when we record an answer phone message. Hello, this is James. I'm currently not in residence, but if you'd like to leave your contact number and a brief missile, I'll respond to you on my return. Still, she's, you know... Blonde? Well, yeah, but she's quite (laughs) presentable. Oh, yeah, they scrubbed her up well when they were asking for a loan. Come on, she's beautiful. All flowing lace and makeup, it disgusts me. What? Well, we all know people dress up relatives to make them look nicer and get a bigger loan. Well, good luck to them. Just because your family couldn't get much for you, there's no point getting rude about others. My family were getting enough to buy a three-acre vineyard, thank you very much. Traded you for booze-making facilities. Very fitting. What's that supposed to mean? Family of drunkards and wastrels. That's the word on your family, mate. You're lucky I can't reach you. I tear you... Shh! Look, he's leaving. Keep still. See you Christmas Eve. Every Christmas Eve he comes back and lets her out. Him and that Egyptian cleaner. What? That's never an Egyptian. His skin tone is far too pasty. And what good would Tweed be in Egypt? Well, if he's not Egyptian, why is he wearing a fez? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, the bow tie is what I'm more concerned about. I wear bow ties. What's wrong with bow ties? Bow ties, they're the least cool. Oh, oh should I love you. Don't know what you're talking about. Um, I thought that the emotional content of the script, as we've said before, was really perfect, note perfect. I particularly like the bit where the Doctor is uh, trying to encourage Kazran to go and have a bit of a slap and tickle with Catherine J- sorry, Abigail. And uh, the whole nervous and rubbish and a bit shaky, because that's just how you're going to kiss her anyway. <laughs> and it made me think about my first kiss, and how I, I was very nervous and shaky and a bit rubbish and my knees went. And I just wondered, how was everybody else's first kisses? <laughs> Mine was awful. Because uh, I'd heard that you had to open your mouth to kiss. And so we just both completely opened our mouths. Yeah. And just kind of, if you can imagine, it was like I'd bit her whole jawline. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. like and we were like, this of, is not pleasurable. Like some kind Let's of Let's go lamprey. back to watching Halloween. Yay! <laughs> I clashed teeth. Oh dear! I think I, I, I think <laughs> I, I, I've done that on one or two occasions. My, I find, mine I find was a funny. bit like it was a bit like eating half a tennis ball. It was yeah, <laughs> hairy. Not hairy. No. <laughs> what kind of tennis do you play? <laughs> Laura's family plays tennis with small rodents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! A tennis ball's got fleece around the outside, and then those little rubber tracking bits. So but I'm if you assuming cut it in half, you were... it's basically a rubber ball, a hollow rubber ball oh. with that bit on top. So your first kiss was like kissing the inside of a tennis ball. Well, no, because that would have been rubbery. It <laughs> anyway, wasn't rub- it, I had a very similar <laughs> Explain experience. Yourself, Alpha. It's shape, not texture. I think <laughs> we all got yes, that. Yes. Shall we just say that that I had a very similar experience <laughs> by the sounds of it to Chris? <laughs> very nice. That's good. So Moving you... it back to uh, Doctor Who for a second. <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, to use his own words, Stephen Moffat is writer-wise the prettiest girl in the room. And he handles these big emotional bits so deftly. But, mm. uh, but also the plotting is, is brilliant. And, um, and then the one-liners. Mm. Are just the way people talk is just superb as well. He is, he is great at every single part mm. of writing. And it's just... I just feel so privileged to be watching this <laughs> stuff. And I feel so privileged that 
he's writing my show as well. Mm. You know, the one that I really had that have the biggest personal stake in of any TV show. Probably is a measure of how much I liked it. The only thing that bothered me is that when Catherine Jenkins sang In the Bleak Mid Minter, she used a tune that I didn't know. I did, did. you say In the Bleak Mid Minter? Uh, probably. Shall I say it again? <laughs> no, when... it's fun. <laughs> I but like that the, was the That was the main tune, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. In the bleak midwinter. See, no, now you're both singing different tunes. How's yours go, Laura? Snow stood hard as iron, water like a stone. That's the no, one that's, she sang. That's, that's not the version. one that you were singing. Yeah, it was. I was that's not the main no. tune. In the bleak midwinter. That's Lord, not the same I verse. I can hear what you're singing. I mean, it's not quite it's the, the notes. But no, it's completely it's not, different. It's a different tune, Andy. There are two tunes to In the Bleak in Midwinter. In the Bleak Midwinter. Mid that's what I sang. Frosty yeah, but that's not what Laura sang. Mid- yeah, exactly. That's How not. does your bit go, Laura? In the Bleak Midwinter. That's the same one. It's not the same. No, it's <laughs> not. <laughs> Isn't it, Laura? It is the same. It's, it's not the same tune. It so is. You two guys are not in musical. In the bleak midwinter. Laura, go. I'm not going to sing with these chaps. How about the Doctor Who Carol, the new one at the end? It sounded a little bit like this. When you're alone, silence is all you Only a little bit, of course, because that's Laura singing it. And, and, ooh, ooh, what do we think? References to silence, that's got to be significant, hasn't it? Ooh, uh, yes, it? maybe. Why does this is silence, silence being a big baddie in the next one? But why does it always have to have relevance? Because it's Stephen Moffat <laughs> and every single little thing has relevance. Like the time machine in the lodger, you think that was just an interesting baddie? No, it's, it's back, back in next the next year. season. <laughs> look, Everything Laura, you know that has big been thought that through. Do not press. Or at least I did it. And look what happened. Yeah, I know. Shocking. <laughs> I want to say how much I missed Amy and Rory. Because it was a bit like, well, where's Amy and Rory? I mean, I knew they were on the spaceship, but it felt a little bit like, 
we can't fit them into the story, so let's leave them out of it. I totally didn't. I was like, oh, thank God, they're just snogging somewhere else for a bit, and now we get a chance to really see the Doctor get into grips with some other people. I missed them. I, mm. I thought it was... You know, I like the two characters, and I know some mm. don't. Um, but that story didn't need them. It mm. was great to have them as the Ghost of Christmas present. They did a little mm. double act, mm. and that was brilliant. It's just a lovely that kept them part of it. They were also the MacGuffin. They were the thing that drove the plot. Their demise, imminent demise, was the thing that Would it triggered have been everything different off. But that's all they needed. If they were not uh, uh, under the threat of crashing, would it have been different with the Doctor of? Had to save the space liner. Would... Yeah, of course he would. Have, yeah, but, but this time it, it isn't have personal. Mm. Mm. He wouldn't have been there to do it because they right, called the distress signal. Mm. But he, yes, well, I mean, he could have picked. The, they could have been in the TARDIS, all the three of them, and picked up the distress signal. I wonder. Signal. I wonder who actually picked the honeymoon destination eventually. Right, honeymoon suggestions. All of time and space, any ideas? We were thinking somewhere warm. Heart of the sun? Not that warm. How warm then? Sort of warm, but not fatal. Right, yes, that makes more sense. Some kind of resort then? Now we're talking. Tropicopia 4, bronze beaches, azure seas, 15 sunsets a day. Perfect. Of course, the lobster man underclass keep rebelling and destroying the chalets. Well, can't you stop them? Stop them? It was me that encouraged them to rebel in the first place. Throw off the little rubber bands of slavery, seize freedom by the throat, and so on. Fine, so where else do you suggest? How about something with a touch of an adventure? Ooh, like a bungee jump or go ape? I was thinking more like planetary freefall from high orbit using personal force fields and inertia dampeners on impact on a pirate planet, while being pursued by a space dragon. I could negotiate a very competitive rate. I know people. They may even throw in the dragon for free. Maybe that's a little too adventurous. Can't you think of something more peaceful? Mountain retreat on one of the moons of Vesuvian? Just you, the crystal clear air and the horizon? Is the mountain a volcano? Partially. Then, no. Okay, message received. Treehouse hideaway in the jungles of Tretron Beta. The trees don't eat people there, do they? No. What do you take me for? The trees are perfectly inanimate, although, come to think of it, the grass does explode on contact with humanity. I think that's probably another no, then. Fine, we'll put it on the maybe pile. How about a trip into your own history, then? I could sneak you into a palace in revolutionary France. Or how about a romantic evening in Chernobyl? I'm not sure our definitions of romantic quite agree. OK, roller skating on the planet of knives. No. Bomb diffusing on Neutronica? No. Ice skating in Milton Keynes? Look, are you trying to kill us? Fine. How about a cruise? Is it on a Martian pain ship of Megadeth or something? No, on a luxury starship in the honeymoon suite. Are there robot servants liable to malfunction? No. Or a space beastie trapped deep in the bowels of the ship instead of an engine? Nope. Top of the line propulsion drives, virtually incapable of malfunction. What's the catch? No catch. It's a Christmas cruise. You'll love it. I remain unconvinced. Trust me. What could go wrong? It's 100% safe, I promise. Off you go and take this. What's this? A distress beacon. Better safe than sorry. Bye! We haven't actually spoken about the rest of the cast. What did we think about Michael Gambon and Catherine Jenkins? I think Michael Gambon was kind of modelled slightly on Sir Alan Sugar, wasn't he? <laughs> there, oh, petal! Oh, petal! Michael Gambon was brilliant. He was effortless. Yeah, he was Effortless. Effortlessly... It's funny that effortless is a hard word to say. It takes a lot of effort. <laughs> I'm not sure that I really liked him playing his own father. I mean, I understand why they did that. Maybe it was budgetary reasons or something. But No, it wasn't budgetary reasons. It, it was uh, that the cycle was being perpetuated. I know, yeah. but it was just a bit too obvious. I would have done it for free, so it's probably not budgetary reasons. I may be a little <laughs> young. <laughs> and you also don't really look like Michael Gambon. No. no, we could don't. have had prosthetics, so then it would have been budgetary. So <laughs> a few okay, more late yeah. nights. Point and taken. Then, yeah. But I think basically the the uh, main point of that is that dear Mr. Moffat will will do it for free. Yep. Love Definitely. the cast. Um, um, I what I really liked about Michael Gambon's performance was that he was so effortless in his sort of gear changes between being the horrible miser and then showing the truth of the character. You know. 
he starts off by throwing that family out and then the next scene you see him sat in his armchair looking a bit upset and you start to just you start to realize the reasons for why he is the way he is just through the way that he does some inflections in yeah, his lines. The, an actor of that caliber yeah. can fill a room Absolutely. and then suddenly be isolated in the same room, yeah. and it's just yeah. all in body language and the way. And his he opening it, soliloquy, which which sounds like a sort of um, sounds like a sort beautiful of, affirmation, a, a beautiful of affirmation of Christmas. Suddenly, yeah. does this sharp turn towards the end, and he goes, "But I hate." Christmas. Then he's an evil cockney. Yeah. It, it is quite nice, really. So isn't it? When, cleverly done. When, when you get Hollywood actors or people who have been in Hollywood films and people of that kind of stature who come on to Doctor Who and you just see exactly why they are so good at what mm. they do. I'm going to take your Hollywood actor and recon it as RSC caliber. Yes, because we've got a heck of a load of RSC people coming up in the next series. Um, but either way, uh, something that I found really lovely was I don't know how many people looked at the making of and um, yeah, there I was did. a lovely scene of the director directing Michael Gambon to shout at Catherine Jenkins in the frozen coffin locker thing. And Michael Gambon just responded so naturally and gracefully to this chap's direction. And I thought that was, you know, he obviously... Is a good chap at um, and then being he did a brilliant actor. bit to camera where he said every time he had to act with Catherine Jenkins, he forgot all of his lines yeah. and went all giggly. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did we think of Catherine Jenkins? I thought she was fine. I, I mean, her acting—it was a fairly cipher-like part. It was just there to drive the plot along, but she looked great and said her lines without. It, you were able to suspend your disbelief. It didn't take you out of it. In really bad actors, you just can't even get that far. And her this, voice is beautiful. I was quite impressed because, I mean, there, I think it's a fairly safe thing to say that RTD's Christmas specials have been victim to sort of a little bit of stunt, stunt casting. casting. Mm. Um, whereas, I mean, with the Kylie character in Voyage of the Damned, if, they t- if you took that out, you wouldn't notice in the plot. I don't mm. think it would be basically the same story. But here... Um, she got given a character that was kind of essential to the plot and the whole thing revolved around. And her voice which, was yeah. absolutely integral to the plot too. Yeah, exactly. I think that was the perfect way to deal with an interesting and risky casting. Mm. But I think it came off really well. I thought she was fantastic. You mentioning RTD has just made me remember something, which is that Stephen Moffat is slowly retiring all the RTD elements so the psychic paper has gone kaput now. <laughs> yes. He's just politely putting away everything. Oh, do you think it's blown? Do you think oh, it's, yeah, it's I think gone? so. I think it's gone. I don't know about that. I think it's still it's lurking out. in the wings. Well, uh, we'll see. But I think he's slowly putting away all of the RTD stuff. Do you think we've seen the last of the Sonic? Oh, no. No, no that's not an RTD thing. <laughs> oh, oh, isomorphic. Oh, the pyramids of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed and laughed and laughed. And oh, spin. you fibber! There's no such thing. <laughs> and it's the fact that the villain was saying exactly the same line that Sutek says in Pyramids of the Mars, word mm. for word. Mm, yeah, but uh, I just made me think of Lucasade. Why? It just made me think of Lucasade because Lucasade is uh, isotonic. Ah. Sorry. These I'm controls, like... when I'm using them, has made me feel a lot more energetic. <laughs> Fresh, don't oh, I? they're isotonic. Oh, they totally replaced my electrolytes. <laughs> is this from your time in the um, in the drinks business? Yeah, totally. The best description I've heard of this episode, uh, which comes from the Doctor Who podcast, uh, is this is what happens when you put a watchmaker in charge of a toy shop. Mm. which i think is beautiful when you take someone who has precision Ah. and puts them in charge of something Mm. amazing and joyful and childlike yeah yeah Mm. and i I think they said they when they read that they thought it was a criticism but actually i i definitely agree with tom uh from from the dot two podcast uh i think that's exactly right that is what it is it's someone who is a technician who is incredibly precise and brilliant who has been put in charge of just this great ball of fun mm. and then you yeah. get both sides of it and i just love mm. that as a description it's a very well-rounded script. toy factory probably maybe but anyway yeah it's a very well-rounded script in terms of character which really appealed to me because you've got this new um not a new imagining of the doctor's character but this new kind of side to him that the moth seems to be bringing out of this slightly childish or childlike sense of wonder that 
uh, Matt Smith had a few moments like when he, he can't first, talk to girls. He can't talk to girls. <laughs> and he bounces on the bed and he goes, "We can eat crisps and talk about girls." I've never done that, but I'm sure it's easy talking about girls. And then he, there's one point where he gets distracted by the Christmas tree and he goes off and looks at it and he goes, yes. "Oh, a Christmas tree!" And yeah. it's very you can blink and you can miss it, but it's there. Mm. And it's oh, it's there nice alongside all these other beautiful details, like um, for example, when Kazran opens the drawer to get out the half a sonic screwdriver, the second time when it's old. Kazran opening the drawer, you see that there are also figurines, little souvenir figurines from the journeys that he's yes. taken in the past, yeah, yeah. an old Eiffel Tower, an old Empire State Building, all covered in dust that he's hidden away with the sonic screwdriver, Aww. which is a really nice little touch. Mm. And did people notice that he starts wearing a bow tie? Yes. It yes, just changes. Takes, yeah. And he takes it off at one point, doesn't he, when mm-hmm. uh, he realises that Abigail, is it Abigail? Yes. When he realises that she's only got a day to live, he and he says goodbye to the doctor. He says, let's not do this Christmas Eve thing anymore. He takes it off. Yeah. And then yeah. when they, when you see the next time you see the old Kazran, he's not wearing it anymore. Yeah. I think that was incredibly mm. well done. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. A Christmas uh, special a, to treasure, to rewatch, a to Christmas be proud actually of. actually properly special. A very special Yay. Christmas special. <laughs> no. <laughs> Right, everyone, we've called this family meeting to discuss a little problem. I should go. This sounds private. No, no, stay. This involves you, too. Really? Of course. You're my sister. Family. Okay. Thank you. Right, well, as you know, I went to Elliot Sardik today to ask for a loan. What happened, Dad? He said we could have the money we need. Oh, But he said we need security for it. Won't the money be safe enough in the bank? I mean, they have vaults and that. And armed guards. I don't think he means that kind of security. No, I'm afraid I don't. We need to let him keep hold of something precious until we can pay the loan back. He can have my PS3. Would that work? I offered him that. And my Xbox. But he said he had them already. What about the telly? I'm sure someone will lend us one if he wants that. No, not that. He didn't want tellies, furniture, dogs, clothes, jewellery or anything like that. (gasps) You don't mean... Don't let him take the Wii, Dad. How else are we going to pretend to play sports that don't take much to play in real life through small cartoony approximations of ourselves on a screen? I'm not letting him take the Wii. He's got one anyway. Then what did he want? A person. A person? A live person? I dare say a dead one wouldn't do him much good. Well, what does he want them for? He will keep them safe in a cryopod underneath his castle, until we've paid it off. Right. So we've got to choose someone to go in the freezer. That's the size of it. Did you have anyone in mind? Actually, I was thinking that maybe you could do it. Oh, good idea. So definitely not me, then? No, not you. Right, I'm off to play Cute Thing Slayer 4. See you later. Are you sure he'll accept me? Of course he will. But why me? Has to be you. You're Welsh. What's that got to do with it? Here. What's that? BBC guidelines. When you finish reading that, what you don't know about representing minorities on television won't be worth knowing. But why do I have to be the security? It's not even my loan. Well, we couldn't really take advantage if one of us went in. I suppose. I think he likes long, flowing white dresses. Right. He might ask you to sing those alternative versions of Christmas carols that you love singing, even though no one else knows the tune. Hmm. And you have only got eight days left to live. All right, I'll go, but only because it's you guys. You're a star, Abigail. Well, you are family. Do you want us to come with you? There are storms expected. No, thanks. My singing team's the fish, remember? Okay, then. We'll see you when you defrost. Bye. We'll come and get you just as soon as we can pay Mr. Sardik off. Shouldn't be too long. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. We won't pay that off for years, will we? No, but now we don't have to have a random Welsh sister bursting into song every mealtime. Hmm, always a silver lining, I suppose.
Okay, do you want to have a quick section to talk about the trailer? Mm, yes. I mean, we should okay. probably limit this a little bit, but Laura, I think you had some very excited... Well, you seem to be very excited, so do you want to p- kick off on that? There are sections of the new trailer that literally sent chills up and down my spine. Amy screaming alone in a room covered in... Um, markings hatchings like um as if she's a prisoner oh who's prisoner zero <gasps> who's prisoner zero mm. prisoner zero is blatantly the doctor could be have you just realized that have you just thought oh, yes yes yeah because he you see the doctor strapped to a chair looking all beardy and weird it does say don't approach the prisoner yeah he's prisoner zero mm, it doesn't mean he's prisoner zero it doesn't mean it but i i there's so many things about the trailer that i love i love River Song is now her mission in life is to destroy any hat the doctor tries to put on. <laughs> yes. Oh, which is just a fantastic little bit of um, continuity, mm. but also a brilliant way of of introducing her character again. I love the fact the cinematography has gone epic mm. with the plains of Utah, yeah. and I think it's because BBC America are part funding those first two episodes, so they've got a bit more money to play with, yeah. and it and and they've got American crews presumably, so we're actually seeing the kind of cinemat- cinematography that we're used to in really high-end american stuff like fringe and lost and dollhouse you totally came up with that list by looking at your dvds i did i just looked across <laughs> the room <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm obviously a person of very small satisfaction limits because i was just pleased seeing a nude Yay! Yay! we're back we've got green eyes and that scene green in the, in what the cock is that the, the scene it's because we're environmentally that? conscious hey. the scene in the white house also made me giggle oh, for a very I long time that. And we've got Nazis and we've got yes. Cavaliers. Mm. Does that mean war games? Ooh, Neil Gaiman's episode, he mentions war games. Oh, yeah. He also, mean, he also mentions a doll's house, though. A life-size doll's house. Oh, and is that what the Papi Amashi feature people are? They're well scary, aren't they? Yeah, Rory yeah. Has, is, is stopping the door from a giant doll. Mm. Oh. I just Someone's don't like watched any... the trailer a few too many times. <laughs> I don't like it when um, there are big empty rooms with lots of... Uh, plastic hanging down on them because you just know there's something hiding the other side of the plastic Mm. and it's a really cheap way of doing a scary jumpy effect and I don't like scary jumpy effects are the men in black back again from dreamland and that episode of Sarah Jane Adventures which I forget which one is it I don't know they're back anyway (laughs) (laughs) the shade is he called the shade the veil that's what it's called Andrevax the veil Mm. And anyway, right, so so that thing. trailer did make me go whoop, 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 whoop. And the final line, monsters are real. Oh, yeah. So I think the moth is going to ratchet up several things well, next year. Got, well, there's got... just no way that he can make... He's done all the scary things now. He hasn't done I all don't the think scary things. <laughs> this well, is the moth we're talking about. Well, I think we've all yammered on quite a lot about how excellent... Christmas special was and how excellent the next series is going to be I for one cannot wait I'm so excited I don't even know when it starts but I can't even wait till then come on when is it starting and of course the Oodcast will have a new series as well and we've got a little trailer for you now next year on the Oodcast I think I've lost my voice. What? Wait, how did you just say that if you've lost your voice? Sign language. Do you know, I was amazed that they got away with making Ripper Song the Rani. Watch out, that script's about to explode. Never mind. I just don't love you anymore. That library and swimming pool in the TARDIS, wasn't it good? Screw Blu-ray, just injected into my veins. He's a near immortal. He walks in eternity. He's fire and ice and lukewarm water. Flatterer. And now for our new feature, Andrew's Semaphore Flappatron. No! Don't adjust the signal. Don't click stop on your iPod. Either that wallpaper goes or I do. Neil Gaiman, Schmiel Schmeyman. It is understandable you should feel guilty about that. The resulting struggle between the ego and the super-ego made your mind construct a reality where you were punishing yourself. Hello, Wembley! Come on, Andy, let's get you home. You have a cup of tea and then he tells you you've landed before you even have a chance to dunk your bourbon. This is where the theme music really kicks in. There's a tale told by angels and dreamers. Turn left. Turn left. A fable in fragmented moments and supernovas. The first podcast recorded entirely on a plane. It starts 
as the universe winks into existence and ends as the last embers of eternity burn into nothingness. I, I can't say this rubbish. And in between there's robots and sunsets, aliens with the power of gods and gods with the face of men. Told you we'd find a piece of Earth history. Here we are. Killer clowns, subterranean worlds, impossible planets and tin pot tyrants. That's a roll of 17 against perception. You failed to notice anything out of the ordinary. Think you know the Doctor? Think you know what a podcast can achieve? Follow Follow me. me. In a world without the old god. Oh dear, I can't do it. Wow, I can't wait for that stuff mm, to happen. Me neither. Mm, especially the... No, never mind. I didn't know half of that was going to happen. Yeah. It's very exciting. Now. It is very exciting. So, um, thank you very much for joining us again. And for everybody who's recently joined us, uh, welcome. And we hope that you stay with us for a long, long time. The episodes aren't normally this long, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're more like nugget size. Well, probably a bit bigger than a nugget. Maybe like a sort of a... Just Tennis a, ball sized. Yeah. <laughs> we're less like a nugget and more like a schnitzel. Yes, we're more like a hammered piece of chicken, chicken. breast. <laughs> fried in, in Delicious batter. breadcrumbs. We're, we're basically normally half the size we are today. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Christmas and we all, there's Christmas always a bit of Christmas everybody. weight. Exactly. You accrue. Christmas padding. So th- there you go. Merry Christmas, every one of our listeners. Ho, ho, ho. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> Andy, get out of the chimney. Sorry. <laughs> I, it was Christmas time and I saw a chimney and my whole brain went, what the hell? Isn't that the best line ever in Doctor Who? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Swears. You 
good episode i thought and to celebrate i've made some spaghetti brilliant spaghetti rocks can i borrow that colander when you're done Loz? I, I want to do my dalek impression of course here you go exterminate exterminate <laughs> this is great wait a minute you've got a colander on your head i do yes does that mean what i think it means well that my hair now smells of pasta no that you're about to travel in time that's right the time has indeed come who are you I'm you in two hours' time. Why are you still wearing the colander? Never mind that now. Here, take this. It's a vortex manipulator. You need to travel back to the beginning of the episode and warn everyone it's being written by Stephen Moffat. Wait, who gave you a vortex manipulator? You did in two hours' time. That doesn't make any sense. It's a causal loop. Deal with it. Stephen Moffat is writing your plot lines now. There's going to be a lot of them. Look, it's easy. You just press this button here to time jump. Don't press it! (laughs) 